It's so interesting to me how much God's voice is in this passage. Perhaps we should be asking ourselves, where are we? This is Chapter, Verse, and Season, a lectionary podcast from Yale Bible Study. Join us each week as two Yale Divinity School professors look at an upcoming text from the Revised Common Lectionary. This episode, we're kicking off a new liturgical season as we prepare for the transition to Lent. We have Almeda Wright, Associate Professor of Religious Education, and Kate Ott, Lecturer in Practical Theology. They're discussing Genesis chapter 9, verses 8 through 17, which is appointed for the first Sunday in Lent in year B. The text is read for you by our production manager, Kelly Morrissey. Genesis chapter 9, verses 8 through 17. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So this passage of Genesis 9 is a fascinating one to me. And of course, it's subtitled often like the covenant of with Noah. But for me, it's one of those places as a parent of a five-year-old girl that I get to tell her, baby, there are rainbows in the Bible. Because our house, our life, my fashion sense and stickers all over my walls are full of rainbows and unicorns and fairies and fantastical things. And to to be able to see there and be like, yep, there are rainbows. This this covenant, this sign, it's a rainbow. And so it's always interesting, of course, whenever you know I'm reading a passage, I immediately normally enter it through the lens of young people in general, but even more so now with this special little magical child who's in my life. And so she comes in and she's like, what? Rainbows in the Bible? Yep. Whole story about a covenant and God sending a rainbow as a sign to remind God. And of course, it opens up a whole different set of conversations around God needs to be reminded. God doesn't remember things. I'm like, yep, God's like mama. God doesn't remember everything. I also, I mean, the all the animals as a piece of it. I just remember as a child loving this passage and you know, I 
you could just, I was a little precocious. So questions <laughs> about really every animal, all of them two by two, mm-hmm. um, pushing back a little bit on questions around evolution. <laughs> How do we get here? I will say to this day, when I see a rainbow, I think about this passage. I think about it differently now than obviously when I was a younger person and just loving any version of a rainbow because I too dressed in all of those (laughs) colors and had all those stickers. It also makes me think about this passage comes in the first Sunday of Lent. And so what you just said about God remembering God's covenant, it's so interesting to me how much God's voice is in this passage. And perhaps we should be asking ourselves, where are we? in the passage. So as a young child, thinking back to that and putting this in the context of Lent, I grew up in one of those traditions where you very strictly picked a number of things you were going to give up for the 40 days. And you could definitely on Sundays have a little day off in that, (laughs) you know, giving up fighting with my brothers never worked too well. I was always saying, I'm so sorry it didn't work. But candy, I could do that one take a few pieces on Sunday. I, in my own theological development, realized perhaps that was not the best theological approach to Lent, especially since most of what, as young children, we gave up, we couldn't actually do. So I switched that as a parent in my family, in our traditions, to thinking about what practices we take up Mm -hmm. during Lent and why do we take up certain things as we watch... um, Jesus and live with Jesus and and the disciples as they move through this time of Lent. And so in this passage, I hear God saying, I I am making this promise to you. And what does that mean to us as we enter into this moment of Lent to say, what, what covenants do we need to go back to? What promises should we be going back to as the people of God? in this relationship with God. I mean, I think through this and, of course, the covenant language, and as you mentioned, the I think the the voice of God saying, I'm the one making this covenant with you and with all of creation and not just people, but all living things and all. And and it's this this really powerful, I guess, set of of phrases and verses that are going through, through my head. And then also the idea that God says, Every time I see the rainbow, I'm going to remember this covenant. So it's not every time you see it, you need to remember it. And But I, I do wonder sometimes whether or not we've kept this covenant or this covenant has been kept. And if it hasn't been kept, if it's been broken, if there's been a breach, was it on the side of God? Was it on the side of humanity? Was it on the side of creation? Like, because it also, you know, sometimes when we think about the covenants, are they just between sentient beings or, or or not? And so this is always such a fascinating text for me. And because I was just looking back, like at verse 15, I remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. And, and I'm like, that's such a powerful image But I always have to read that in light of the fact that we have had floods, tremendous, devastating floods. I remember even personally growing up, I lived in rural Virginia, and I think we were in third or fourth grade, and there was a flood that came, flood the James River, overflowed the banks and the little creek that um, ran behind our house. And 
whole houses and people's lives were destroyed because of this flood. Um, was it all flesh? No, but it was felt like all to my community. And then you think fast forward to some of the places in the U.S. like Katrina and these massive intersections of national of natural disaster and systemic injustice and and governmental like malfeasance. Like there is a way that these things should not have happened. And you're like, who broke the covenant? So it's not this punitive God coming in and destroying, but how have we been responsible to seeing the rainbow and recognizing that this shouldn't happen again? Brings me back to Reverend Dr. Melanie Harris's work in ego womanism and her part of the methodology of having each of us think about our own eco memories, even the the story you just told, part of your eco memory um, of experiencing flooded land as a child and the impact of that on your community. The the I voice of God in this struck me as a question of, is this part of God's hmm. eco memory? Part of what God wants for the world, for God and the earth. God and all flesh that is on earth, God and all living creatures, everything is involved in this covenant. And too often, part of the ego memory process is to ask us as humans to decenter ourselves a little bit mm -hmm. while also seeing all of the humans and the earth and the creatures that are impacted by our actions. Mm -hmm. I think God's doing that here. And it leads me to the same question you have asked. Are we doing that? When God says, I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember. I will see. I wonder now when we have these major catastrophic events and to go beyond just floods, right? To fires, to devastating landslides and earthquakes. When God sees that, when God remembers, does that pain God? that we are unresponsive to so much of what needs to happen to take care of this earth, to do our part in this covenant. Yeah, it could open up an entire different conversation, um, particularly thinking about this epoch that we're in, like the Anthropocene and the idea that humans have done so much. And so there's a way that even God's like, I might have made a covenant, but then y'all kept building houses and floodplains and I may have made a covenant, <laughs> but y'all kept like, you know, deforesting. And so there's ways that even natural rhythms in which the earth could renew itself can't happen because of the ways that humans have intervened and really trying to figure out, are we attentive to the multiple voices in this covenant as well? And what does that mean theologically or as part of the church's witness for us to respond and wrestle with the things that are here in this text and all that is brought up? And for me, as we, you know, this text could lead us also to like, well, Noah and Noah's family, along with all these animals, they go do one thing that saves in that moment. Okay, well, God said that's never going to happen again. So let's take that seriously. Individual action to change the ecological degradation that is happening today is not enough. 
God has already said that's not going to happen again. So what is it we can do as we think about ecological degradation as social sin? What can we as churches, as communities, collectively commit to so that this is not an individualized response and that we uphold our side of the covenant? Thanks for listening. You can visit our website for more Bible study resources, galebiblestudy.org. Chapter, Verse, and Season is a production of the Center for Continuing Education at Yale Divinity School. It's produced by creator and managing editor Joel Baden, production manager Kelly Morrissey, associate producer Aidan Stoddart, and I'm your host and executive producer Helena Martin. And our theme music is by Calvin Linderman. We'll be back with another conversation from Chapter, Verse, and Season. Season.